Coming up, a conversation with Brian Risley, candidate for an at-large seat on Colorado Springs City Council. This is 6035 Media. Casting an informed vote is your right and your duty as a citizen. I'm Brian Grossman, executive editor of 6035. And I'm Julie Ott, communication lead for the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak region. And we're teaming up to bring you conversations with the candidates in the April 2023 Colorado Springs City election. Uh, this interview is both an episode of the new 6035 Vote podcast. And the League's Making Democracy Work podcast. So let's get to it. Brian, will you take two minutes to introduce yourself? I'd be glad to. Um, born and raised here in Colorado Springs, gl- grew up in the Black Forest area. Um, I own a, uh, a locally based architecture firm. We specialize in planning and design of uh, primarily commercial facilities, lots of schools and, and uh, churches and things of that nature. Um, I've got a 13 year old daughter uh, here in town, and my wife works. Um, for Kaiser Permanente as a software developer, and uh, I'm I've been involved in a lot of different aspects of the community uh, in my time uh, here in Culver Springs, and and uh, looking forward to seeing what the next chapter holds. That was fast. Why don't we have another minute of, on why you're running? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, again, being a native of Colorado Springs, I've seen how things have changed and evolved here in our community over a, a fairly long span of time. I've seen the good times, the not so good times. I've seen some great decisions and some questionable ones. Um, I've been involved in serving on a lot of different boards and committees and, and in a lot of different volunteer modes. And uh, and I feel like this is a very pivotal point for the future of Colorado Springs, obviously with four city council members and uh, a new mayor. And, um, and I've had my arm twisted in prior years to jump in, but this really feels right, both in terms of where my family is, where uh, my business is, and where we are as a community. Uh, my goal is really to try to uh, continue helping make some good decisions moving forward. Okay. Uh, Brian, let's start with a question that involves water and development. Uh, what's your stand on the 128% water rule? Uh, sort of finalized yesterday as far as extending water and other utilities to flagpole annexed developments. Well, in my professional world, as well as uh, the current chair of the El Paso County Planning Commission, um, I see a lot of the nuances in what was enacted yesterday. And I see a lot of the issues, both uh, from the perspective of developers, as well as the perspective of uh, residents in the community. Um, I don't know enough about how the 128% was uh, derived. Um, so I can't really speak to the specifics of that. Um, I think generally having some clear guidelines on how we determine water um, sufficiency and water resources is very important. Um, I think as with most items, having a very robust public process is really critical. I question whether there was a robust public process here. Um, I think most people would say there was not. Um, I think understanding how that impacts um, not just a particular developer, but uh, our community in general is really critical. Um, when you start to restrict or, or maybe limit the way growth occurs, um, you also start to talk about housing affordability and attainability. You start to talk about economic vitality. And I think balancing all of that is really critical. Um, you mentioned flagpole annexations. Again, those are, are sort of policy issues that um, become 
very entwined in a lot of different aspects of, of community. Um, flagpole annexations on their face happen all the time. That's not necessarily a litmus test for whether it's good for the community or bad for the community. Um, and again, we're talking about an issue that's bigger than just one development, that's bigger than just one developer, and being very intentional and mindful about how we make these decisions, in my opinion, is the most critical piece. Thanks, Julie. Yeah, so as a follow-up to that, should the city consider extending water or other utilities to subdivisions located outside the city that might never be annexed um, as part of maybe a regional water provider? So the conversation about a regional water system and whether CSU is is suited to be a regional water provider has been discussed, you know, at quite a great length uh, between city and county agencies. The root of the issue there is um, sort of twofold. Um, philosophically, if a water district outside of Falcon runs out of water, what do we do as a community? Do we turn our back on our neighbors and say, well, you made a bad decision in terms of where you developed and, and choose to live? Or do we as a community figure out how to, um, to um, maybe correct some of those things? The big issue as I see it is that if we know that growth is going to happen, we know that one way or the other development will take place. Um, if we aren't mindful about that, a development would occur in the county instead of in the city. And in the county, largely, those developments uh, are fed by non-renewable water. So in the city, CSU has done a great job of um, being very uh, looking forward into the future and, and identifying resources that are renewable water resources. So in my personal opinion, um, I think it makes more sense to see development happen in a municipality that has the ability to harness um, renewable water resources as opposed to non-renewable. Um, and, you know, in terms of serving outside of the CSU boundary, that's another discussion I think that has to happen at the, at the CSU uh, level. Um, you know, the, the other thing that factors into all of this, um, again, is just, uh, the interface between the, the city and the county. And so the notion of development in the county or in some other surrounding jurisdiction, um, the MOU that was put in place last year mm -hmm. between the city of Colorado Springs and El Paso County to allow development to occur in the county per the city standards is a really critical piece to understanding how we uh, knit together um, urban growth in, if you will, a, a rural quote unquote um, region of the county. So it's a very complex issue and it all sort of, again, ties together. Uh, this is a residential property rights question. Where do you stand on accessory dwelling units being allowed in single family residential areas? Um, generally speaking, I feel pretty strongly about um, the rights of property owners to do what they wish to do within the confines of the land development code. Um, I think that the idea of ADUs um, begins to speak to or address uh, housing affordability, attainability. Um, it creates the opportunity for density, but I also think it has to be done in a pretty controlled and smart way. Um, I think, again, having some robust public discussions around what that looks like, how that gets implemented, what the, uh, what the 
sort of purpose of that of the additional dwelling units uh, really wants to be. Um, I think we need to have some bounds around how that gets played out from a uh, a true use standpoint. We see a lot of situations where somebody builds a an apartment on their property um, that's intended for residential use and ends up being used for some commercial purpose, which may not be bad as long as it's compatible with the surrounding community. Um, it, to me, when we look at all those things, it's about that uh, that context and and uh, again, what ultimately is the right answer for the community in in general. A league issue that we have been supportive of in the past is increasing city council pay since the current amount does not allow for many members of our community to run for the office except for retirees. Do you support an increase in city council pay and why or why not? Well, as a person who is still working full time, um, I certainly understand that that um, restriction, if you will. Um, I think it really goes down to or comes down to why does somebody want to run for city council? Why does somebody want to serve in that capacity? Um, from my lens, the reason why I'm doing this is clearly not for the pay. It's, it, it's, I'm not doing this for the notoriety. I'm not doing this for the ability to um, bring a spotlight or attention to myself. I'm doing it because I truly care about this community and I want to help make some great decisions for our community. I think if you incentivize that with, pay, yes, it does potentially open up the um, spectrum of folks that can serve. But the downside is then I think you've got folks that are um, chasing that as a full-time job. And the motivation, in my opinion, shifts from doing it for um, altruistic reasons to more um, self-serving reasons. So I don't have a specific stance on that. I see both sides of that issue. Um, I think, again, it's something that we need to discuss as a community. It's sort of a tangent to that is when should city council meetings be held, right? If you hold them in the middle of the day like we do now, it's limited perhaps to retirees or self-employed or folks that have a lot of flexibility in their schedules. Um, I'm not suggesting that we change the meeting times, but if I know a lot of communities that have city council meetings or county commissioner meetings in um, afternoons or evenings because it theoretically allows more involvement from, um, from folks that have, you know, daytime jobs. Um, so I think that kind of dovetails with the discussion around city council pay and, and really who are we trying to, to uh, focus on here and, and why. Uh, do you mind if I just follow up on that one real okay. quick? Do you have ideas outside of, if it's not raising pay, uh, ways to make council more inclusive or more representative? Um, are there other ways to do that without, you know, giving people a full-time job opportunity there? That's a great question. I haven't really thought about it. Mm -hmm. um, having served on, on several city boards and committees, I think part of how we could um, leverage more citizen involvement is being more intentional about those opportunities to serve as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. Um and I think if we could figure out how to leverage more volunteer involvement, it may, to some degree, reduce the burden on city council. Mm -hmm. um, that might make it more attractive if meetings don't last 10 hours. Mm -hmm. um, if the city council had more latitude to get at the root of a particular issue, mm -hmm. um, the, maybe the lower time commitment might be a barrier that could be uh, overcome more readily. Okay. Uh, 
My next question, not related to pay, is uh, public safety. Uh, the police department, Colorado Springs Police Department, short about 70 officers from its authorized strength. Uh, what do you do about the shortage of officers and, I guess, in general, public safety? Um, crime's gone up. Uh, traffic accidents have gone up. So what do we do about that? Great question. Um, I, public safety, in my view, is one of the biggest issues that we face as a community. That's um, probably at the near the top of everyone's list. Um, I don't have the magic bullet. I don't know that very many people do. I think figuring out how to um, get the message across to law enforcement that we support what they do, that we see the value in what they do, um, figuring out how to not only um, uh, attract uh, law enforcement, but re retain law enforcement officers. That's been a big issue. Um, I think one of the things that we've done as a community by having others um, sort of support structures, if you will, um, tasks that can be done by not just sworn officers helps because then it reduces the burden on um, folks that first rep first responders that have to uh, respond to a major uh, activity or criminal event or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think there's some strategies around that. I think looking at uh, pay structures, other um, uh, benefits that can be offered from a retention standpoint is is pretty important. Um, but as I said, I don't I don't have that magic bullet. Uh, that's something that uh, if I were elected, I would definitely um, try to dig into a little bit more. Um, in my opinion, public safety is more than just criminal activity in law enforcement, you know, in this region, again, having grown up here, uh, I know the importance of everything from fire mitigation to evacuation routes to um, dealing with some of these windstorms that uh, that we've been dealing with in the last few years. Um, I remember the good old days when we used to get massive blizzards that would shut shut down the city with four or five foot drifts. And so <laughs> just being sort of aware of how public safety is more than, than just uh, uh, bar fights downtown, right? Yeah. Right. How do you propose to address the city's affordable housing crisis? So affordable housing, in my view, is driven largely by um, diversity and development. So when this kind of goes back to the, the conversation about annexation and utilities and all that sort of thing, if we, I think we have to be really smart about growth. I think we have to really balance it. But the more opportunities we have to um, create um, housing, obviously it's a, it's a market driven, um, issue. So if, if housing is restricted, the price goes up. If we're able to create more housing and maybe more diversity in housing types, that helps. Um, unfortunately we've got some state issues, uh, relative to, um, condominiums and, and, um, you know, the, the legal issues surrounding, those types of developments and until some things change at the state level, I think we're going to be um, looking at some more creative opportunities like the additional dwelling unit uh, topic that we just discussed. Um, but again, I think it's a balance of, of smart growth that will allow the market to uh, create some affordability there. Uh, if you're elected, do you foresee asking voters for new taxes or fees? And if so, for what purpose? Um, I tend to land on the side of limited uh, government growth. 
Um, I think it's important, certainly at the local level, for local government to focus on key infrastructure that only government can provide. So public safety, transportation, utility infrastructure, all of the things that we've been talking about. Um, and so in that vein, I don't personally see the uh, need or the benefit in in additional tax uh, measures or, or uh, things of that nature. That said, if it were apparent that there was some missing piece mm -hmm. to fund infrastructure, um, then I would certainly consider that. Um, I think we've we've made some really smart moves over the last few years in 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 that vein, right? Two C I think has been really important in terms of city road infrastructure. Um, Ten years ago, I served on the PPRTA two campaign. And I believe strongly in what that does for regional transportation and road improvements. Um, I think what we are doing in terms of stormwater management, of course, we didn't have much choice because of the, the, the lawsuits and some of the issues uh, surrounding that. But it's those key and core um, services that, that I think need to be supported by a tax base. Um, anything beyond that, I, I guess I would have to strongly consider it. I'll throw parks in that same category. I mean, Colorado Springs is known for our, our parks and our open space, and, and uh, we've got a great program in TOPS. Um, but really, again, beyond just kind of those core services, I, I would have to think long and hard about a, a tax initiative. Okay. Julie? All right, thanks. You may be aware of the League of Women Voters lawsuit against the city with Colorado Latinos Vote, Citizens Project, and the Black and Latino Leadership Coalition. And it's to move municipal elections to the fall, not necessarily during a presidential or gubernatorial year, but preferably the same time as school board elections in hopes of increasing minority voter turnout and saving the city money. What are your thoughts on the lawsuit? I'm aware of the discussion about aligning city elections with a with a different election cycle. Um, I apologize. I'm not familiar with the lawsuit. I'm not familiar with the specifics of it. So beyond um, the idea of changing the election cycle, I, I can't comment. So as a follow-up, would you see benefit to moving the election to the fall or have any, if, if you if elected, would you promote that idea? I would be very interested in studying that idea because, again, I'm not familiar in great detail. Mm -hmm. um, I think with coordinated elections, there's often a cost savings to the municipalities involved. Mm -hmm. um, I think if we could, if it would drive cost savings and be um, allow more participation from the voter base, of course, I would be interested in in studying that. Um, I don't know enough about it to say whether it would actually uh, drive um, more voters, but worth considering for sure. Okay, thank you, Brian. Uh, neighbors have asked for more detailed, neighbors being voters, uh, residents of the city, have asked for more detailed emergency evacuation planning, especially as it relates to wildfire. You touched on that a little bit. Uh, is this something you would consider addressing as a city councilor? I think it's largely in the purview of city staff and emergency management experts. Mm -hmm. um, I am not an expert in emergency management. I've worked with a lot of first responders in a lot of other ways. Um, so I, I think it's a critical issue. Um, I, I don't know, again, what the right answer is, but it's 
in my view, absolutely worth um, studying. I, I know when evacuation routes were recently discussed, it was a pretty contentious issue. Um, so it's it's something that we definitely need to talk about as a community. Mm -hmm. But what that looks like, I don't have the answers. Okay. We are in the final third of this interview. So, uh, Julie, I'll go ahead and let you ask the rest of the, the league's questions. Well, I think I covered our specific questions, okay. but we did not address the homelessness issue. Yep. So if that's all right, how, Brian, how would you address the homelessness issue? Again, I don't have a silver bullet for that. It's a complex community discussion, and it, it really involves a lot of different moving parts. Um, I was at a, an event this morning where Dr. Leon Kelly, our coroner, was talking about the rise in violence and, and uh, uh, homicides in the homeless community. Um, I think, you know, he talked a lot about the root causes being um, drug abuse, uh, mental illness, and um, and a lot of just the underlying issues that they're dealing with. Um, I think figuring out how we can um, tackle those underlying issues as opposed to just putting a Band-Aid on the, uh, the biggest concerns that are in our face is really critical. And, and the... The region has made some good progress in that regard. Um, you know, you hear these statistics about uh, more people reaching out for mental health uh, related issues and, and more, um, uh, you know, more kids being checked into Cedar Springs and things like that. And a lot of the media tries to kind of put a spin on it that that's not a, a good thing. I think it's a great thing. I think the more mental health uh, services that people are seeking hopefully gets at the root of the issue. Um, in terms of how to deal with the homeless population, again, as a community, I think we're doing pretty well. If you look at how other communities have have uh, dealt with it or not dealt with it, um, we have a relatively small population. I think we've got a lot of services in place to try to address um, the issues that they're facing. Um, and, and I think more of, of uh, just a mindful approach is what we need. We, uh, you know, we need to be compassionate and we need to um, try to assist these folks however we can as a community. We have a, a little more time, so I'll, I'll ask one more before we have you wrap up. Uh, and you, you talked about parks uh, real briefly. Maybe you could go into some more detail. How, how should the city fund the needs of the park system? Great question. I mean, there are obviously a lot of different um, mechanics out there, tops being one. Um, I think, again, it's like many of these other topics, it's about being intentional and studying the issues and studying what we're trying to achieve um, and and working sort of backwards from there. Um, you know, the to me, one of the, the beauties of parks and open space in Colorado Springs, it's one of the things that has drawn a lot of folks to our community. So the preservation of that type of space, the um, ability to continue improving some of the properties that are already in our portfolio. Um, the city I know is looking at acquiring other open space and, and maintaining uh, other areas that are gems for our community. Um, you know, I think funding mechanisms that are that are there are are. Uh, largely effective, but there may be some other ways that we can leverage either some state funds or some other um, avenues. And it's just, it's a critical piece to the quality of life that we all enjoy here. Julie, did you have any other questions? I think I've asked 
Our all, league all you got? All yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, did you want to take a couple minutes uh, and just sort of sum up why you're running and why voters should vote for you? Again, I don't have a uh, – I had a neighbor just recently say, you know, kind of suspiciously, what's what's your agenda? <laughs> and uh, and it took me aback because although I have a lot of um, issues that I think are important, I don't have an agenda. I don't have, um, uh, you know, some uh, some, you know, special interest thing that I'm trying to accomplish. I've grown up here. I, this is where I live. This is where my family lives. I have a 13 year old daughter. I'd like to leave a legacy for, um, my parents live here. Um, I live and breathe this community every day. Um, I want to take care of my staff at my firm. Um, ways that I can do that is by giving back to the community and being involved in the issues and, and hopefully again, making some some smart decisions, building some consensus, finding some paths forward that maybe not everybody completely agrees with, but that they can live with. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I feel like this is just, as I said before, a very pivotal point in our city's trajectory. And, and if we make some good decisions, we can keep moving forward. If we make some questionable ones, um, I'd hate to see us return to a point where we're turning off, uh, streetlights and, uh, getting rid of trash cans in parks. (laughs) So, all right. Thank you, Brian, for joining us. Uh, you've been watching or listening to a joint podcast effort by 6035 Media and the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak region. Be sure to follow Making Democracy Work and check out lwvppr.org for more information regarding our candidate forums in March. And continue to follow 6035 Vote to make sure your vote is an informed one. This podcast is produced by Dave Gardner, video directed by Nick Raven. I'm Brian Grossman, executive editor. And I'm Julie Ott with the League of Women Voters. See you next time. Hi, I'm Dave Gardner. And I'm Nick Raven. We're the podcast producers here at 6035 Media. 6035 Vote is just one of a growing family of hyperlocal podcasts that we're creating. And these are for you, someone who wants to engage fully in your community. We've got the 6035, which is a quick, lively recap of the top news stories of the week. That's my favorite. It's really great and often funny. I love having you as a guest, actually. I do, too. And then we have Hot Takes and Stirring Breaks, which is a potpourri of news and commentary about movies, gaming, TV, streaming, and just so much more. It's for youthful heart and you know, that could be anyone, really. Yeah, I'm surprised I even really enjoy it because Nick hosts that and uh, he's, he's witty. Well, and the cool thing is that you can watch both of these podcasts on YouTube. Or you can listen to them on the go in your favorite podcast app. And there's a couple more, uh, but you can also visit 6035media.org slash podcast to see them, browse them, sample them. And then subscribe to the ones that you like. And then subscribe to this YouTube channel. Yeah. And if you really love it all, like we do, uh, you, can we do. Just, you can just subscribe to the 6035 Podcast Network podcast, which is a conglomeration of all the episodes, all the brilliance and humor that emanates from the studio. Absolutely. And there's a lot of it. So like and subscribe today and go listen to them all or watch them. What he said. Good. Thanks. Got it. That wasn't so painful.